Welcome to the Six Figure Product Biz Podcast. I'm Carrie, a product-based business coach. I started, scaled, and sold a successful multi-six-figure e-commerce business, and now I love teaching entrepreneurs like you how to start, grow, and scale your dream product business. I'm obsessed with all things marketing, e-commerce, and business, and I cannot wait to share all my secrets with you. I also love all things dogs and coffee. Each week, you'll learn step-by-step tangible strategies to help you scale to the next level in your business, skyrocket your sales and traffic, reach more customers, and gain greater visibility in your business. Because I know you don't want to waste your time or energy trying to figure it out all on your own, but you want the business growth roadmap so you can create a profitable product business that gives you the life you love. Whether you're thinking of starting a product biz or scaling yours, this podcast is the secret sauce to making all those dreams come true. So grab your coffee and your favorite notepad and let's get started. Welcome to this week's episode of the Six Figure Product Business Podcast. Today is a really awesome episode. It is a female founder episode where we're featuring Courtney Stewart from The Good Kind. Um, If you watch my Instagram or you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen me talk about her amazing stainless steel and leak-proof lunchboxes a couple times. I have one for my son and I have pretty much like obsessed about the product, the packaging, pretty much since the day that I got it in the mail. So on this episode, we are diving into Courtney and her journey as a product-based entrepreneur. Um, She has had multiple businesses. She has pivoted from one business to the next. And she has a really, really, really awesome story. Her business, The Good Kind, has an incredible um, mission where they donate um, meals to kids in need for every purchase of the lunchbox. And we talk about that on the podcast today, how she focuses on her mission while also trying to drive sales. We talk about ethical manufacturing, her journey, and just how she got to where she is in her business today. So if you are curious about her story, her incredible business, And just to hear from another female founder who has done quite a few things the right way, then you're going to really love this episode. So grab a coffee, grab your wine, and let's dive into it. What is up, Courtney? I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yay. All the time over DM, but we don't always get to get face to face. This is I know. I feel like I was asking you for a while maybe multiple times to come on the podcast, I think. So I'm happy to have you. Um, But before we dive into, you know, your story and really some fun stuff, tell or just quickly introduce yourself and just tell everyone like, you know, who you are, what your business is, and maybe something interesting about you. Sure. So my name is Courtney Stewart. And um, I am the founder of The Good Kind. We manufacture on-the-go plastic-free lunchbox solutions that are not only eco-friendly, but are also leak-proof and solve some serious lunchbox problems for parents. And yeah, one thing interesting, actually one thing most people don't know about me is that I played um, Division I basketball in university. A lot of people don't know that about me. Um, so yeah, I'm a former zip. I went to the university of Akron. And so it's a fun fact about me. <laughs> Wait, university of, is that in Ohio? Yeah. In Ohio by oh, Cleveland. Okay. Like, but, so you played basketball up through university. Did you play like the whole four years? I feel like I need more. Cause yeah. I also played basketball. 
So I played yeah. through freshman year of high school, then I quit. Yeah, I played like my family. We were a sports family. School and sports was everything in my family. I'm the youngest of five and all of us, um, with the exception of the brother ahead of me, which actually today is his birthday, but we all got athletic scholarships and um, everybody did something with sports. And um, my older brothers, they also now coach as well. And, but yeah, we all played university. basketball or volleyball. My sister played volleyball. Mm-hmm. Me and my two oldest brothers played basketball. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, last night was my son's first basketball practice and I am like in charge of his basketball sport. My husband does like the, I call it like the nerdy activities. So he does like math and English. Um, it's called Kumon. I'm not sure if you guys have that in Canada, but we do. He does that twice a week and he does piano and he does some other stuff. And it's like, I wanted to to do some of the sports stuff because I'm also a sporty person. Probably don't seem like it, but, um, but yeah, he did his first basketball practice and it was like, it was so exciting and like so special for me to take him to his first ever basketball. And it was kind of a, like, he was not great. I'll admit. (laughs) (laughs) I know they aren't usually, I get it, but my daughter, my youngest daughter, she started hockey this year and she started about five weeks later. And honestly, she couldn't even stand up. She could not stand up. She was holding onto a pylon for the first like two weeks, two days a week. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, but they get it so quickly. And now I'm, I was watching her two months later in December when we were going for open ice and it was like, holy moly, they catch on so fast. So he will catch on so quickly. Yeah. I hope He'll be so. flying up and down the court and loving it. I hope so. Um, he he's good. Like it, like he actually picked up shooting really easily, like shooting in the hoop. But mm-hmm. I think it's the concept of like being in a team and like you know passing to each other. But yeah, it it was very cute cool. and um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of be the basketball mom, just like my dad was like the basketball dad with me. So yeah, that's cute. But I love that. I didn't know you played basketball, so I'm that's sure pretty cool. So, okay. So you, I want to talk about your company. Let's talk about, cause I know that you also had another company before that. So let's kind of talk about like briefly, like your story, but really like, I would love to just dive into like your entrepreneurial story. Like what were you doing before you started the first business? And then tell us about the first business and like, kind of like what made you start that? I love, love, love like the early days of people's businesses. Cause I think you know, as a former product business owner myself. And then, you know, I have all these courses and programs and people are always like, how do I grow? How do I get my traffic? How do I get sales? How do I do ads? But I am just always curious of like people's beginning story, because I like to look at how did you get from starting off to like, you know, where you are now and your business is amazing, of course. But like, I love the the beginning story is just because I think that's such an important part of like, how you ended up growing. So let's hear about like your early days, but I'm also curious, like what did you do before your first business? Yeah. So I started my career. Um, I actually, mm-hmm. after I graduated from university of Akron, I went to, I started my career in Indiana. So I worked for a diesel engine manufacturer and oh. in like a, um, like a marketing role. And I kind of was like wearing all hats for North American division. I was like doing internal, external communications, um, like um, 
PR, trade shows, event management, um, inter- working with the internal sales team, social media. And that's when businesses were just kind of getting on social media and not really sure how to, what to do with it, you know, how to leverage the platforms. But that's kind of where I started um, my career. And I spent six years there and moved up in different roles um, of the business. And um, I will say as much as I hated corporate America and I was working for like a top 100 company. Um, that corporate experience is definitely part of the strong foundation I had to going into starting my own business and like having that confidence too. Um, you just, you learn the nuances and also it it helps me understand better when we're dealing with like agencies and talking to other companies and Mm. uh, I'm coming from it from a solo entrepreneur standpoint now, but you know, I, I was there once too on their end. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but from there, I, um, actually right before we got married, we moved back to Canada we moved to Toronto and I completely went into different industries. So I took a position with, um, a company called Mondelez. It's the craft, it's the snack food side of craft. So they do like all the Cadbury and Triscuits and wheat oh. and all those hmm. snack food products. Okay. Um, So I was in a marketing position there. Um, but not on the agency side, I was always inside internal. So just more of the strategy building, but you know, with brands like that, like, like there's strategy to it, but it's kind of, they're doing the same thing over, over and over again. It's not the creative stuff you definitely see now me being part of, you know, our startup, but Um, yeah. And I did that. And then I had my first daughter. So I was off and, um, I never really, I never went back to working for anybody else. I knew I wanted to do something that allowed me to have flexibility. I think like every mom, Mm -hmm. um, new mom, you're like, you know, what can I do so that I can be as part of my kid's life as much as, you know, still building out my dreams and having my career. and, but, you know, allows me the flexibility to be there when they need me. So uh, I kind of took that time to kind of figure out what I was going to do. And then three weeks after um, I had my second daughter, um, a couple of years later, I actually launched my first business. And that was No Man Sibs. And those were um, personalized name labels for drinkware. So labels that you normally see are like the sticker labels that go on cups and stuff. But we had these, they were silicone bands that wrapped around like a water bottle. I usually have them all over too, still. Um, And they were removable. So when they were done with like um, a baby bottle, you can move it to their sippy cup. We're done with that stage. They can move it to their water bottle and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so they stretched to fit pretty much any size. So that was great. We wow. did, I did that for a few years and we got to the point where we had a manufacturer um, producing in New Jersey for our US customers. Our, we were mainly, because um, we started on Etsy actually, and it just blew up on Etsy. And we um, had a manufacturer and doing all the laser engraving as well as shipping to our customers um, for the U S and then we had one in Canada too. And, um, at the like height of that business, we had and gotten to like 
some really great um, collaboration boxes with some big Canadian brands like NYX, a female founded brand, and Sarah uh, Landry from the Birds Papaya. Um, so two big Canadian influential brands. And then like two months after that, I just decided like I was done with it. Um, we had a lot of, uh, once we started outsourcing our manufacturing or um, the personalization, we just had so many um, quality control issues. Um, and then one of the warehouses was shutting down uh, after due to the pandemic. Um, so this was in 2020 oh, Okay, and was shutting down and we were like, I was like, I'm not bringing those laser engraving machines back into my house. Cause at one point we had people here running the machines. It was, I honestly, I get like PTSD oh my God. <laughs> thinking about the first, my first business. Um, when you're like making your own products, I have so much respect for makers because mm-hmm. It's not, I was never a technical person and like good with like laser engraving machines or, you know, I get frustrated with the printer, you know, that's me. So it was never going to be something that I like dove into and really enjoyed getting to, you know, learn. Um, So I, I hated the business. I actually resented it. I hated everything. And I still to this day probably get two to three emails or outreach people asking like, do you still make those labels? Like where I am looking for these labels and this <laughs> all the time, people all the time. Mm-hmm. Or like, do you still have some? Like we have label. I have like some bins of labels left that were shipped back to from our warehouse, but I don't have machines. I can't laser them. I can't engrave them. I'm like, and I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but I still, people love them. And I love them too. Just like economically. On the business side, it was one of those things where like, you know, you can have a great product, but the economics of it and the business side of it, you know, it just wasn't scalable enough and um, it didn't make sense anymore once we outsourced distribution and everything and the margins were so slim in the end and yeah, it Mm -hmm. wasn't worth it. So, and I hated it. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I have so many questions. Yeah. And honestly, from there, I just kind of, we announced it and I wasn't totally sure an idea what I was, I wanted to stay in the same niche. You know, I wanted to focus on sustainability. So whatever we were going to do was going to involve something that allowed parents to reuse them. We wanted to, you know, um, we thought, we thought we'd be talking to the same audience, um, which actually is a mistake that we made, um, you know, kind of the way we transitioned our, our website and everything. Um, and kept our email list without, instead of selling the business. So that's kind of a lesson learned too. We were like, you know, we have the same audience. We don't want to sell our list. We don't want to sell all this information data. And then in the end, I think we probably should have. Um, we sold off just the um, equipment side of the business versus like just the whole business itself. So yeah, I'll stop there if you have any questions. <laughs> What was literally like screaming out at the screen at me is like, why didn't you sell it? What like, and I don't mean that in like a rude way. Like, why didn't you sell your business? Um, but like, you know, as we've had conversations, I know on Instagram, like I sold my business and 
I can, and I get asked about selling the business all the time. People are so curious. Why did you sell? Like literally someone messaged me last night, one of my one-on-one clients. Um, it's a question I get asked pretty constantly. And my answer for selling it isn't anything that's like earth shattering. I was like, I was burned out. I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to like help people start a business and not feel like not have to go through all the crap I had to go to where I had to figure everything out. And I kind of saw that vision of my future. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I, I want to do something else. So anyway, um, but yeah, I'm just curious, like what did anyone advise you? Like you should sell a business because I also understand at some point when you have a product, cause what you're saying about your business, how you have like PSD and all that, like, and you felt resentful. That's how I felt about my business. Um, I love my business. I'm so grateful I started it, but like it was not the right thing for me in the end. And that's why I sold it. I got out before I got to the point where I was like, I'm so fucking frustrated with this business. I can't stomach it in one more minute. I'm just going to close and not have the patience to like, okay, how do I get more profit? How do I list it? How do I work with a broker? Like, you know, going through all that. And that stuff for me was like, that stage of selling the business was quite easy because I found a broker who did everything. She was amazing. She was like a unicorn. But like, I totally get it when you're at the point of like, I just I can't do this for one more minute. Like, I don't care about selling it. I don't care about the money. Um, How were you? Is that kind of like how you were feeling? Or did anyone advise you like, hey, you should consider selling the whole business? Or yeah, I'm just curious. I'm just curious, like, just to hear more from your perspective. Yeah. Um, and you bring up a good point because I talked, had a couple, like a, a couple of few peers that I, and I still like, they have businesses as well, a little bit different of businesses, but nobody had sold a business yet. Um, I think, you know, and this is just me and my personality, all the things you said about being, um, done with it and like resentful and all of those things. Yes. Those are all true. I think when it comes to, selling, I wish I would have been seeking out like professional advisors earlier on. And I actually told somebody, a girl um, that I'm connecting with, uh, having some calls with and help just helping her as other people have helped me, you know, I'm like the first thing, like you, you should have a coach, like you should have a coach. You should have a few people that when things come up and you've got to make big decisions, you have people who've like been in that position to make those decisions. So yep. it's one of the things I do regret um, not selling it. Um, but I try not to look at it as a regret, but like, mm-hmm. sure, financially it could have been good. But I also learned from what, you know, keeping it too. There's some things that just kind of rolled in and made it easier as we, you know, just kind of pivoted um, to the new business. We just kind of like changed the names, changed the URL, you know, you know, start kind of started over on Shopify, but had a lot, had all the data, you know, we thought we were, and then we like welcomed our new, you know, introduced the new business to those customers. And um, I just thought it would be, I think it did help, especially when we had with our initial launch to just have somewhat of an audience, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't as beneficial to hold on to it as I thought it was going to be. So it was a lesson learned, but I think the first lesson, the first thing I could advise somebody in their entrepreneurial journey, whoever it is, you need to have somebody 
you need to have a few people that you can resources that you can talk to. And that's one of the things that I wish I would have done earlier on in my business, just having resources. If it's marketing resource, if it's your business friend, if it's, if you're on Amazon, if it's, you know, somebody who's done it on Amazon, but having people to be able to talk to and network with, it's so important. So important. I couldn't agree more. And like with my business, my first business, I didn't um, have any of that either. And that's why with my current business, the second I launched my business, it was three years ago, right around now, I joined a mastermind. And I was like, I need community. I need a coach. I need people that are like-minded. And ever and basically ever since then, I've always been in either a mastermind, group coaching program, um, memberships. Like I'm always in something because you need people. Like you kind of nailed it perfectly. You need people that you can talk to. And when things come up, like if you have, if you haven't gone through it, it's hard for you to make maybe the right decision for your business, you know, just like pretty much what you just said. So it's always good to have people that have um, gone through what you've gone through and just to have support and, you know, business friends, coaches. Yeah, I think they're all obviously very helpful. <laughs> A lot of the times for me, it's like, I just need to like bounce this idea mm-hmm. off somebody. And yeah. I've done it with you, right? Like, I'm just like, what do you think about this? Like, you know, spend a lot of money and you're like, Ooh, yeah, I I see it this way, but like, I just need to like double check, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just like, and it's not so like, Oh, you have somebody to blame it on if it doesn't go up, but it's just, you know, sometimes people though, they might see things the way you're seeing it, um, played out or say, be like, listen, I did something similar. Let me show you, tell you how it went for me. And then you can make a better decision. And like, Nine times out of the 10, I usually still do what I want um, and what I thought, like, planned on doing, but I still value any input that I get. So it's a hands down, like, the number one thing I would tell a new entrepreneur is, like, have a network, have people who you can, like, easily reach out to um, with some of these harder questions. Yeah, I agree. And I just want to add one more point, too. And I I was actually sending someone a message about this this morning. It's like having like safe space, like having a safe space, allocating time. So like I recently, I have a new business idea and I was like, I am working on about 17 different things as always. (laughs) And I'm like, I just need to talk to one person. I need to talk to one person who knows me, not some fucking bro marketer that I hate, but like someone who knows me, knows my crazy brain. (laughs) And I can just like get everything out of my head and onto paper, come up with a strategy plan and just like dedicate an hour to talk about this. And so I booked someone's 90 minute intensive, someone who I've worked with before. Like we've both like she was in one of my I was in one of her masterminds. She hired me to do a marketing plan for her. So like we both know each other um, and we booked the 90 minutes and it was absolutely fantastic. Like, did she give me earth shattering advice? Not exactly, but like I got everything out of my head and we came up with a plan and I spent an hour and a half mapping something out instead of keeping all this crap in my head and then taking no action, you know? So like I just want to say that, too, because I think sometimes with like coaches or mentors, whatever, like it doesn't have to be this like earth shattering experience. It can literally just be like you're taking an hour and a half of your time and dedicating it to like mapping out a plan and having someone just to talk to like there's so much value in just that. So, yeah. 
and sure. the yeah. brain dump of yes, I'm just like you. I have I have thousand ideas mm-hmm. with zero strategy, and you're like, I just need to tell somebody about it. Who yes. gets you is not there's no judgment. They're not going to think mm-hmm. you're crazy. Exactly. Um, exactly. It's so it's like therapeutic. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I don't really tell him anything because yeah, he like every time I tell him anything, it's like the worst response that I want to hear. And I'm just like, I don't like, why do I tell you anything? <laughs> I know my husband, he'll say, he's like, that sounds great. He's like, why don't you make this business work first? <laughs> oh my God. That's what, yes. That's what my I husband does too. Him. We He's just so need to Yeah, I know. You know what, too? Like, uh, <laughs> my, for my husband, I I just seriously just don't think and anybody gets it unless they're doing it. I just don't. Totally. Um, so the fact that even you yourself, like, you're a coach, but you've done it. You know, like, you've gone through the process. You've had your own business. You've sold it. You've exited it. Like, you're somebody who you can have these conversations with. A lot of people. And a lot of coaches don't have that. So you, you got to understand, nobody else gets it. So you've got to, yeah, you got to know who you can talk to about these things. So a hundred percent. I love that. That's really good advice. Okay. And I also need to Google your business. I'm like wanting to type it. It will pick up on the podcast episode. I'm going to have to Google after because I'm curious what the, the things looked like, but Okay, so you decided not to sell your business. You sort of transitioned into your current business. What made yeah. you choose? So if if any, anyone listening, um, I have done, I think, a couple videos on my Instagram or TikTok or something about um, Courtney's products. I'm obsessed. She makes these, like, beautiful leak-proof lunchbox containers. They're beautiful. And... Um, yeah, super pretty, like obsessed with the packaging, the inserts, customer experience, top notch, 100%. So I feel like I was just rambling and now I forget where I was going with that. Anyway, um, obsessed with your product. Tell us, just like the early days, what made you choose a kid's lunchbox? How did, yeah, like let's hear the story of that. Because I feel like when you close one business and you're like, oh, well, I can use all my information, my email list to start this new thing, like, just walk us through. I feel like I'm totally rambling. No, you're, you're those are it's, everything is valid what you're saying. And so the timing of the close was um 2020, just like December 31st, 2020. We kind of like just blew up uh holiday and then that was it. And then I kind of took some a few months. Um I so before that, that was the year my daughter, so that was the pandemic year. Um, the year before would have been when my daughter started, was she still in elementary? Nope, no, no, there's some kids. So that year, that 2020 years when she started junior kindergarten. So before, so which is like, uh, one year before just regular kindergarten in the States. Um, so she would have been three. So she went to, so she, but she was going full days. And we were using a a lunchbox that we had started using. And I was already kind of like in the ego mode and a plastic free, you know, kitchen uh, mode. So we were using stainless steel containers that I loved and I still like them. They still have great use, but I, it drove me nuts because she loved things like 
frozen blueberries. And she loved like things that sometimes would have like a little bit of like leakiness or like residue, like watery residue, right? Mm. Left over. And when I would do that, there was just like a, like a, like a little um, placed wall within the lunchbox. The compartments weren't divided out by like a mold. It's probably, it's hard to understand if you're not in manufacturing, but um, essentially it made it so that things can leak within the compartments, the different compartments. So there was that obstacle, but then also the top surface was, um, you know, it was just stainless steel and it didn't have any kind of like, you know, sometimes you'll have like a rimmed edging or something to prevent leaks within containers, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. then they'll pull off and you can clean in there. Um, didn't have any of that. So we just became limited with things that we could put in her lunch and it drove me nuts because she was even the kid who like, like taking leftovers and things like that. And like a lot of leftovers we couldn't, you, you know, put in. And, um, I really loved these lunch boxes and I tried another stainless steel one that like the whole lid came and I thought maybe it'd be more, it wasn't, didn't say it was going to be leak proof, but I thought, you know, it'd be better. Well, it's the same thing. And I was like, goodness, if you can take like the leak proofness of some of these plastic lunch boxes, bento boxes that are on the market and made it stainless steel and made it, you know, truly leak proof, it would be perfect. And there wasn't anything on the market that was a hundred percent stainless steel. Everything was like some stainless steel, some plastic, you know? And so that's kind of where it started was like, based on our own experience, just like, gosh, this would be better if it was like this, you know, this product would be so much better if they like paid a little bit more attention. And, um, after talking to a few of like my friends who had similar lunch boxes, they were kind of just like, they dealt with it because they didn't want to use plastic. Mm-hmm. But they were like, yeah, we're just limited on what we can put in the lunch, whatever. They just kind of dealt with it. And, um, some people I talked to, they even said like, they eventually went back to plastic because, you know, they want to make sure their kids eat the food. And if it's like soggy, if the sandwiches are soggy, you know, so anyways, after doing some pest and research, I realized we weren't the only ones kind of experiencing this and it kind of started the journey from there. So that was probably, um, in November time, November, 2020. And then between then and closing the other business, we relaunched as the good kind in July, 2021. So within like six months, we found manufacturing, developed, created the mold, um, uh, did all the packaging, the rebranding, the naming, everything, um, in that period of time. And yeah, the one thing was really good was great is that like, there were so many learnings that I was able just to like bring over, um, from my previous business. I had done it before. And so I had a lot of contacts and, you know, things like that, but it was pretty quick, pretty intense. And, um, there was so much, uh, back end stuff that like customers don't really see that I didn't have a super strong, I didn't have a strong marketing strategy of the gate. So aside from sending an email, Mm -hmm. you know, we really didn't do anything um, 
too exciting, uh, sending an email, a couple emails and like posting on social media, some teaser stuff. We sent out a couple influencers, but it wasn't a strong um, marketing plan. And then that was, that would have been our first back to school season. I kind of looked at it as like, you know what it did. We didn't do as amazing as we thought, but like we have proof of concept. Um, and then it allowed us to better prepare for this last back to school season, which was amazing. We three act star, um, our revenue and we we're kind of pigeonholed into that season right now. I, we, I, you and I kind of talked about how we're going to move away from only being a back to school product, but our brand, but the learnings, the bulk of our business came from that. The revenues came from that period. So we were able to just look at that and say like, goodness, not doing very much more, even not even getting into paid ads or anything like that. We're able to do this, you know, now we, we got the confidence, right. To really, um, to really go after this and start investing some, some money to just, we really just need more traffic at this point. And so, um, but we, we did all the foundational stuff, you know, to establish the brand, establish a little bit of a presence and, um, and yeah, that's kind of like the store in a nutshell. Um, I think after that first um, back to school season, something uh, hit me as well in terms of finding more purpose with the brand outside of just like solving a problem. Um, so like we want to solve a problem for families, you know, with lunches not leaking and kids being happy and eating their lunch and all that. Um, but I wanted the brand to be known for more than just that. So in addition to, um, you know, creating a product product that solves problems, you know, we're committed to the idea of the good kind comes from this idea of like, we are operating, like we're, we're being the good kind of business. You know, I tell my kids all the time, be the good kind of sister, you know? So Aww. we, we like do the right thing sort of thing. So when you know better, do better, you know, you, for families that's, you know, use less plastic, you know, try to reuse whatever, if you do have plastic, reuse it. Or when you, you know, when you're done with it, discard of it properly and recycle properly. Um, you know, we use many, our manufacturers are all third party tested. We pay, spend a lot of money every year to get audits done of all of the manufacturers. They go in, they make sure, um, you know, all the workers are paid fair living wages. There's no child label, labor, anything. We haven't been able to physically, we have one-on-ones all the time with our manufacturers, but we're not able to visit. We haven't been able to physically be there. Mm-hmm. So it's important to us to ensure that, you know, we're upholding our commitment to do good for everybody, any stakeholder involved in this business. And that includes the people who make the products and the people who ship the products and then the customers who get them. And then on the back end, um, you know, we're able to donate. We pro- profit, um, partnered with a not-for-profit organization called Mary's Meals, and we're able to donate school meals for every single lunchbox sold. So for our hero product, we donate like a whole month of school meals 
to a child living um, with extreme hunger. And oh. so the the whole idea with that is there are parents in certain parts of the world who, when they wake up in the morning, they have to decide whether or not they're going to send their kid to school to mm-hmm. get an education and to, you know, one day free themselves from, you know, the type of life that they're living or they send them to the streets to beg for food so that they can eat. And so Mary's Meals, what they do is they work with local farmers and um, local food providers to provide school meals. It always in the place of education. It incentivizes the parents to send their kids to school where they can learn and they can, you know, get an education and better themselves. Um, It stimulates a local economy by getting them involved in the foods and the farmers and getting them all involved and paying them for their food. Um, And it also, it's a nice give back, you know, like as a parent buying your child's lunchbox, you know, this, it's a beautiful high-end lunchbox that they're going to be able to eat. It's, you know, eat from, and they're going to have, unspoiled food and, you know, get their nutrition. It's a night. It's also a nice sentiment to have a give back component to that too. So, um, yeah, in a nutshell, that's, (laughs) I feel like I just been blabbing, but it's kind of where the good kind kind of comes from this idea of like, you know, be the good kind of human, be the good kind of person. And we, we, we try to be examples of that throughout our entire manufactured manufacturing distribution process and where it involves all of the stakeholders. So, yeah, I love that. I feel like you need to also, this is like a tangent, but I feel like your story is so interesting and I love the giving back kind not, I don't want to say the word angle, but like kind of, cause I used to, I used to do a donation for my business and I do feel like you can leverage that, you know, you can promote that and that will get people to buy from you more. So, you know, you can kind of benefit from both angles, but I feel like more people need to know about that. I don't know if like, I don't know. I feel like there's so much opportunity to like really spread that out because that's such a powerful thing. And like so many businesses don't offer any kind of like a charity uh, donation or, you know, anything like that. So I just want to preface by saying I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing and I hope more people know that because that's going to get them to be like yeah I want to buy a lunchbox so I love it you know what and that's you're absolutely right I like these are all the things that we want to communicate not only to like as an angle but Mm -hmm. also just letting even other businesses know that you can have profit and have a purpose too. And I, the, the thing that I love about our partnership with Mary's meals, and we've actually, um, we've donated almost 50,000 meals to date. And the thing that I love about our partnership with them is that when there are times in your business where you're like, this sucks. Like it is very hard. You know, you feel very alone. It's, you think about that. You think about, it's not just about the product, you know, in a way these kids, you know, they are, they're counting on us too. 
to show up mm-hmm. and to sell lunch boxes because they want to go to school. They want to have meals. Um, and so it gives you this internal drive that makes it less about you and your product and your idea. And there's a bigger picture to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, more about helping others who, you know, these children, they can't help themselves. So yeah, definitely this, we need to share it more. It honestly, every time we talk about it Aww. and we only really talk about, it, I feel like once a month and we're like wrapping up the month, how many meals do we donate this month? So it's like, it's not enough. Um, and you know, I, I would advise any, uh, new startup to, you need to have businesses, millennial businesses uh, starting like you need to have some kind of purpose to your product Mm -hmm. um if you're not solving a product if you're not or to to your brand if you're not solving a problem with your product um solve a problem in the world you know if you know there's just so many things you can do and wonderful non-for-profit agencies to partner with that um you can find that avenue with any business, you know, but you definitely need it. There's times where it's, you know, you need to look past just the brand and the product and the idea and say, I'm doing this for a greater reason too. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I was like, as you're talking, I was thinking about a, I think it was a video I made this summer about Tom's, but the actual video was like, I believe three, I'm sorry. I believe every successful brand has like three things. One is like a cool story, which you have. Two is a bigger picture mission or vision, which you just shared yours. And then the third one is like you solve a you solve a problem for someone, like you provide a transformation. So um, as you're just talking about that, I'm like, your brand truly does hit all those like three things that I believe are like crucial pillars to a successful business. Because, you know, if you don't have a cool story, like not and not everybody has a story. Some people are like, oh, I just like made wine glasses, you know, um, <laughs> like, I don't know why I just said wine glasses. Um, but like when you do have a cool story, like, oh, I, you know, I had this other business and then we transitioned and like I was using lunch boxes and they were leaking. Like, that's a really cool story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to share that because I think like I love that your brand does have all those cool things. But I definitely think. I definitely agree with you. I think nowadays with e-commerce, like so many brands are starting. And if like you don't have something that can connect people to you, like people want to support brands that give back. And for me, that was a huge part of my business. When I launched it, I was like, I want to give a percentage of all sales to uh, pet rescue. So every month I choose a new dog rescue and I would give money to them. Sometimes I would like give money to the same place for six months. But that was such an important thing for me. And like, and I really leveraged that as much as I could without being like, I'm not trying to be sleazy, but like, hey, if you purchase our our box, like, we'll donate to this Pipple rescue or like, we donated a bunch of times to like rescues in like Puerto Rico and like, ones that were hit by hurricanes and people, people love that. Like people want to support brands that give back, like period. I don't even need to say more. Um, So if you are like, oh, I should... Maybe I'm. Th- maybe I should do it. You know, partner with someone or just donate. Like, friggin' do it. Do it because yeah. it makes you feel good. Your customers feel better about supporting you, and then you're also helping people. Like, it's such a win-win. So, 
Absolutely. Definitely a win-win. I think, you know, myself, like we're not, we're not profitable yet as a business, but we've made this commitment and we, we still donate tens of thousands of dollars, you know, if we would be profitable, but we do this. Right. So, I mean, there's just, there's things that as a business, um, you know, I know we'll get there, but this just, it makes it, it just, it makes your impact be just just so much more meaningful, you know, when you're involved in something like that. So very proud of it. And, um, you know, I can't wait to the day where we're like, you know, we donated a million meals. (laughs) I feel like it's so far away, but you know, it's not a few years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Such a good, it's like such a good story. Um, and I would love to just talk about too, like, cause I feel like you were like, all right, we made this product and we found a manufacturer and da, 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 da. And you made it sound very easy. And I just want to come back to that because I know it's not easy. <laughs> and I know a lot of people are like, I want to start a product that like, whatever it is, maybe not a lunchbox, but like manufacturing. So I manufacture dog bandanas, which are a very different ballgame than manufacturing a stainless steel product with a silicone mold fit in. Like this is a totally different ball game than I had to deal with. I just had to find someone who could make cute bandanas for me. And like manufacturing anything is a really amazing experience because you learn how to find a right supplier. You learn about like, oh, if I buy something, like I manufactured my products in China. And, you know, the first time I ordered boxes and they showed up at the port in Long Beach and I went down to pick it up and they were like, oh, and that will be an extra, I forget how much money it was. It was like $2,000 and I literally shit my pants because I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that I had to pay any more money. (laughs) And so the friggin' boxes, I can't believe I just also said that on my podcast. So I, so um, the $1 boxes I bought ended up being like $5 each and I was like devastated because they were so ugly They were the ugliest packaging that I have ever made, and I wasn't expecting to pay that, you know? And um, so you learn a lot about manufacturing, like, oh, my gosh, and then versus the bandanas, so easy. I would order them. They would come a dollar, like, door-to-door, including everything. They would come. I think it was either FedEx or um, maybe DHL. I forget what it was. It's been, like, years now. No extra charges. It was amazing. So anyway, I wanted to share that because – like you yeah, learn a lot. You learn a lot about manufacturing. <laughs> you learn a ton. And there are so many things that you like, you can't be aware of. Um, and you just have to experience it. You just have to do it and then you're going to figure it out. Um, but yeah, I remember that the first time we shipped air, you know, a lot of e-commerce brands do start up ship air. It's so much more expensive, but when mm-hmm. it comes to sea, you know, shipping by sea and how long it takes, Yep. Sometimes you're putting out money for a long time and you're not able to like sell it off for a while. So um, a lot of brands do use um, airmail, which is what you're saying, how it's like FedEx door to door. It's so easy. And then you go to use, you know, you're really trying to like, you know, plan ahead. That's where we are. You know, this is going to be the first time that we're actually going to be shipping by sea because we're planning ahead months in advance for back to school orders and everything. and now I do know we had plan out for 
yeah, it's a quarter of the cost, but then you're going to have those duties and taxes and uh, then you have to transport it. I remember the one time we did it, it, we did it that way with our labels and it ended up, it was packaging and it ended up in Toronto. We had to spend thousand dollars to get the packages, nine box, nine, God. 15 boxes or something from Toronto to here, which is four hours. And I'm like, <laughs> after all that, and I had to wait like months, I should have just sent it by air. Like it was such a mess, mm-hmm. but so many like learnings, just like that one. Um, that you get and you're going back to your um talking about like the manufacturing just like the process it is uh it's very hard uh it's very hard to find especially when you're working with overseas manufacturers and you're talking to a bunch of companies that are just so trained to sell so well mm-hmm. um and you don't know what you can believe i was lucky enough to be put in touch with our silicone manufacturer from the bands. We were connected to another manufacturer. Um, and that manufacturer, along with another partner manufacturer, that's who we ended up working with the two of them for the lunch boxes. Um, one for the silicone, one for the stainless. So it, we have a great product, but I'm not going to lie. It doesn't come without you know, issues and hiccups. And so, um, it's a lot of patience, a lot of back and forth, a lot of conversations, even I, I kind of feel like we, when we launched, I was so rushed. I remember the period when our first shipment gone, it was like July and like, that's back to school. Like we, we have to sell now. Right. And, um, in reality, you know, I could have done it over. I would have got that product the January before or December before and tested it. And, you know, what, what are the issues I would have had, you know, ordered far less, you know, uh, in the number of boxes that we ordered and tested them out. And then went and like made final edits to our mold and, you know, things like that that you learn. Um, but you know, the manufacturing process is very difficult. Do I think it's worth, um, you know, because we, we've had companies approach us to like handle all that for us and the patents and the manufacturing and trade all that stuff. And it's like anywhere from like a hundred to $200,000. Um, I don't think it's worth wow. that. And I think it's part of, as a business owner, like you need to know how to do it. You need to know how to navigate that process and like, where, especially if you're working with like overseas or out of your country manufacturers, you need to know how that works. And so, but it's nice to have a resource to talk, to help you talk, walk through it. And actually I had a friend, uh, I have a friend who is, has a super successful, like she exited her first Amazon business and she has a second one now. And so she really helped me. She outsourced and did all of her own manufacturing in China. So she helped me with that process and, and whatnot. So it was good back to my whole thing about having resources because it's so important. Absolutely. I love that. And yeah, I, I remember, um, I think you mentioned the the friend from Amazon. So I think that's, that's a definitely good person to learn from. Um, yeah. But yeah, manufacturing. I've also just heard like some, some of my clients who will well, one, one client in particular who I do their, their marketing for. Um, and, and you were, were talking about like, like product on, on fr- I, I don't, don't know, know if you, you actually said freight, freight but, but 
you, you know, know, product on freight and this particular client, their inventory was like held up for, I want to say six, it was, it was like, like six months or something. They, they had, had an entire year of inventory that like they couldn't use <laughs> because of freight from shipping from China. And so um, they had a lot of issues this past year with just with like inventory and cash flow and the like you know, inventory that they ordered for all their retailers, and then it couldn't be sold. It was a nightmare. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a nightmare. You know, what's interesting. I was having this conversation actually with somebody, and it was like, why there's, you know, something to be said about the way China and how they have really established themselves as like manufacturing base for like startups. And the they make it so easy um you know every time i go i'll be like i'm done i i i got i'm i'm going to start sourcing i'm start finding the local manufacturer it is like it's such a different process they it is it's not easy to navigate you can try and google searching things like these big the ones in like the united states they're not like they're, they're just, they're not set up to deal with small businesses and startups. Um, and so it just makes it so much more attractive to source products from out overseas. It's just an easier process. Like it sounds crazy that that would be the case, mm -hmm. but I've tried to source within Canada and the United States. It's not it's like you're, you're begging them to give them business. Like they're never calling you back. Whereas. Oh, really? Oh God. My manufacturers in China are like, they're bugging me. I'm like, you guys yeah. gotta put this off or feel like they're like, are you ready to do this? And I'm like, oh, like you were too fast. That was an idea I had like a few months ago. You're too fast and you know, I'm not ready to go. But they're they make it very easy. So um and as an entrepreneur, if you can get one thing done a little easier. Um, but again, it doesn't come without, you know, there's language barrier, there's just fundamental logistics problems that happen stuff getting held up at the border that are just out of your control. So mm -hmm. it happens, but <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it definitely is. Do you ever, I want to ask like what your biggest tip for like a new entrepreneur is, but I I'm curious, like, do you, with this business, like, do you ever, and maybe you don't, if you don't want to share, that's fine too. Um, do you ever feel like you might want to grow it and then sell the business? Or do you feel like this is going to be your business for a long time? Like, what's your vision for it? Just curious. Um, I definitely am setting my business up to one day have an exit, 100%. Uh, whereas, like, I didn't do that before. So that's something, too, uh, I would advise somebody Mm -hmm. Uh, just don't be afraid to talk to people and get advice. Uh, I used to be like, so like, like I'm not, an, I'm, an, I'm an educated person. person. <laughs> I'm, I'm not an idiot, idiot, but like, I'd be like, like oh, I don't want to bug them. them. You know, you I don't want to bug my accountant. I'm like, I'm paying them. Like, <laughs> if you have a question, like, and it can, you want to make sure you're sending to like, you know, I never did that before. And now my business is set up to like exit, you know, we're doing things, um, you know, documenting things the way we need to. And, um, I don't know if it was, I don't know. I found this one person. Um, I think you might've actually interviewed them. I might've found them from you. 
a podcast interview or something. Was, was it, it a Ma- Magnolia company? Christine from Magnolia Group or something? Yeah, yeah and she, she has, has this. She helps people sell their businesses. Yeah, yeah. So, so we recorded, recorded that. Um, yeah, yeah, a few months ago. ago. Okay, yes, it must have been you. And then (laughs) I wrote her name down and I wrote everything she said. And I was like, hey, we need to make these changes. And actually, it's like in my, like, to this, in the Q1 this year, have a call with her to make sure. It is, is, I think it's so important. Like, listen, it is a beautiful thing to have your own business and to start something. And depending on what your goals are, um, you know, a lot of businesses, you can, you almost become like a prisoner. Um, if that, it, 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 it sounds negative and I don't want it to be that way, but you know, there's going to come a point where you're like, okay, you know, let's get some fruits from all this labor, right? You know, you want like at the end of the day, um, if we were all, multi-millionaires, we wouldn't be working as much as I'm working for my own fulfillment. You know, I also is, you know, provide some stability for my family and my kids. And, um, you know, I have my own goals to career, but to me, having setting the business up with a plan to exit, um, is some light at the end of the tunnel in terms of like, there's going to be, there's, there's could be a really good upside to this, to all the work. And I'm okay to put in all that work in the back end. Um, knowing that, you know, we're set up in a way and, you know, we're building the brand towards like that goal. So I don't think it's going to be, you know, in two years or three years, but I, I, you know, maybe five or seven. (laughs) Nice. I love that. Yeah. That episode for me too, just to share um, a bit from that, that episode was like a pivotal moment in my podcasting (laughs) journey because I have a lot of business ideas. Um, starting like a SaaS company, for example, like I really wanted not and I wouldn't personally develop them, but like basically start some Shopify apps in the Mm -hmm. customer loyalty space and some a few email marketing, like list building things. So I have a lot of ideas. And when she was talking about how like, because I had asked her about, um, I think, SaaS companies, and she was like, yeah, like, one of my clients, um, we just sold their we just they 10 x. Sorry, they're the I can't freaking think today. I've been up since 3.30 in the morning and my brain is like, I'm not really with you today. Um, the yearly revenue, sorry, yearly profit, they t- the value was valuation was 10x. And I was like, holy shit. Literally my mouth, my jaw like dropped. And I was like, okay, you need to step it up. Like, let's get the fucking SaaS company started. Stop wasting your time posting an Instagram. Um, so I feel like that episode for me too was like kind of. It was a really good one. Yeah, she got the wheels turning in my brain, like, massively. So I was that, you know, sometimes I have episodes where I record people and and sometimes you're like, I feel a little bit small. And I felt very small (laughs) on that episode recording because she was like, yeah, I've I've like bought and sold 10 companies and I'm doing this and this and this. And I was like, I've only sold one company. Like, I'm a loser. Like, she literally made me feel like a loser, which that's not very fun. Um, Anyway. Yeah, that was, you know, everybody's starting point for the most part, you know, is the same. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have people saying to me, oh my, but you've already, th- like, you've done all that. And then, like, setting the foundation and, like, the, 
the the brand, the logo, all the things that people see are like the smallest parts, right? Of the business. There's so much that happens um, behind the scenes and like early on. And, you know, she was where we were one day, you know, earlier on before too, but it was a really good podcast. It, it, I think it was just about like, just setting your business up smart, you know, even if you're not like, even if you might not have an, like a vision to sell one day, but like, it's just the smart thing to do. Um, Mm -hmm. because somebody comes knocking on your door. Um, but yeah, there's that business side of entrepreneurship that it's very different from the creative side. Right. Um, and as an entrepreneur, I feel like you're, you're, you're one or the other. It's not usually like a marrying of like having both of those qualities. So um, it's hard. I also tell people too, and I, this is probably terrible advice because anybody with like partners always says it, but like, I don't know, might be like, I kind of like would like to work with somebody like to have a co-founder, you know, maybe there's somebody who has like very different skill sets as yourself. Like as an, mm-hmm. if you're like an early stage entrepreneur and you're like, gosh, like, I have these like really, really strong skill sets and like somebody, you know, I kind of weak in this area. Somebody else might be, I don't know. I, I find it just being lonely too, like just an entrepreneurship. So sometimes I dabble into having those thoughts of having a co-founder or something, but, and then my friends who've had those experiences are like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I feel and like I, it, I mean, I think it couldn't go either way. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have like, it works for them. And I think other people, depending on personalities, can be a total disaster. So, but I agree with you. Like, um, one of the things that I'm working on is like do, launching an in person retreat and I'm doing it with someone else. And when we yeah. first, I first told her my idea, she was like, I wanna do that. Like, I'm interested in that too. Maybe we could like join forces. What do you think? And I was like, I love that. Because I always do shit by myself and it's fun to do something with someone else. And she was like, I sort of can't talk about it now. Like I need time to like – I need a bit of time to think about it. And she's like, if you want to do it on your own, feel free. And I was like, no, like I I don't want to do it by myself. Like I love the idea of doing this with someone else. So I do think like for certain occasions things can be fun just with another person. And I was going to start a different business with someone. This is not like a different business. It's just like a thing. But I was in the works of starting a business with someone else. And then she ended up kind of like not really wanting to do it anymore. But um, the same thing. She was like, I, I feel like you're more interested in this than I am. Like, I, if you want to do this, go for it. And I was like, I don't want to do this by myself. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I like the idea of doing something with other people. But I think it has to be the right person and like the right personalities. Expectations have to be hashed out like – Who's doing what? What's the expectations? So I feel like there's a lot of, yeah, room for error, but also it can totally work. So, yeah, I think too, especially because a retreat, that'd be something you haven't done before. So like, especially if it's something that new that maybe both neither of you have done and you're like, oh, we can kind of like both bring our experience and like do this, like as of right now, it's just a one-time thing. So like, it's less commitment. It's not forever. It's less yeah. pressure. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. this one time. I think that is the kind of thing that would be a perfect um avenue to test. Um, but yeah, I just feel like it's 
uh, it's so invaluable. And I think too, what, what trips you up as like an, uh, and I all say early stage entrepreneur, but I think you probably experience this at all stages, but when you start to entrepreneurship is all about solving problems and just because you are dealing with problems all the time. Everything is a problem. <laughs> and it's just about navigating the problem and finding solutions that people like you need to make the decision to how do we resolve this? And like, what's the decision? So it's constant decision, constant sol- problem solving. I think when you, and this was me, I feel like I, I was making, I was looking at it as like, just constantly making the wrong decision as, as hiring, I'm hiring the wrong people. You know, I'm hiring and firing, you know, I'm like, like, it is literally like, what the heck you just need, like, someone to bounce it off of. And that's where like having a partner would be nice. But if you understand that entrepreneurship is just all about problem solving, making a decision, as soon as you make the wrong decision, fix that decision or don't make it again. Now you've learned, go and like just getting past the next stage. That's all it is. And if you can like withstand it, Mm-hmm. Granted, you have to have a viable business. You have to have a viable product or a viable service that people want. And people are, you know, there's got to be some demand. But if you can seriously just power through all the mistakes and all the bad decisions, yeah, um, you know, you it, you can be successful. But you can get, you know, you can get to a point where you know your business can operate, and you know you can chill out, relax a little bit, but. It's hard to it's hard to go through that in like the dark days, right? As an entrepreneur, it's hard to go through that and say just keep putting the next step, you know, next foot forward. It's it's hard. So and that's where I feel like people and you make you again, like I feel like you you make things sound easy. <laughs> but when you said, oh, just w- like with, I think you said withstand, like that's the word that like just popped out at me is like that's the thing and most people can't with they they quit they're like oh my god i i i put and i i and i don't mean to sound hard but i am like i will give you tough not you but like i'll give people tough love you know oh i posted one reel and it didn't get me any clients i didn't get any sales i'm like okay listen susan post 400 of those and then complain that you're not getting sales like everybody wants the quick fix and it doesn't actually like it, that doesn't exist. It exists again because we have all these idiots on YouTube who are like, I can teach you how to make seven figures with one my email sequence. Send me a DM called sequence and I'll give it to you. Like those people are just like sna- it's like all snake oil. <laughs> you can tell like I'm like so passionate about how much I hate a lot of people on YouTube because they're literally like, oh, I can teach you how to make a drop shipping business, but you're going to make eight figures tomorrow night in your sleep yeah. with no money down. Just buy my $3,000 course. DM me and I'll give you a discount. Like it's such bullshit. And I get really mad about these people. Um, but it's like it, there is no easy fix. You yeah. have to you have to go through all the bullshit and make the mistakes and buy the $3,000 custom corgi dog toys that no one buys from you, which is my own, one of my stories of wasting money and making mistakes. Like you have to go through all that. And if you keep showing up, you keep persisting, you find someone who can help you, you find a mentor, you find a friend and you keep going, like you'll get there. 
But like most people don't have the willpower to keep showing up. And I think that's the thing that makes that separates like, unfortunately, the successful people from the non-successful because the successful ones keep showing up. They figure it out. They're like, I I don't take no for an answer, you know? No, for sure. It's grit. And it's like, (laughs) you know, but I don't want to. I, I don't want to like position, put people in like with the people who have decided to, you know, close down shop. I always say it like people, I, a lot of people I know have like closed down their business. A lot of them had, you know, multi-stream, like they would have, they had a retail store and they were like one girl I know recently, she had a retail store. She was a maker. She was making everything. And she had an online business she's trying to grow a brand. I'm like, what are you doing? That's a lot. (laughs) Like that is a nightmare is what it is. Like it is so, there's so much to do in each of those spaces. You like, those are three full-time jobs, like for people. And she was trying to do this, um, like just as herself, but it was, uh, I, I kind of like, another thing I think I would tell people is, um, you know, pick a lane. Like it's really hard to do like e-commerce really well and wholesale really well. And, you know, like, and to make your own products, like something's got to give there, like whether it's be a maker and then like go online, focus on that. Like don't focus on fulfilling these wholesale orders that you're like not even making money on. You know what I mean? By the time it's done, like that's another thing that I, I, um, have really, you know, dialed it back on, um, until we were in a position, I remember when we first started and we were filling all these wholesale orders. And I'm just like, gosh, where, how we're priced. And I think you and I had this conversation in the summer, like where we were priced and like, it didn't even make sense. It was a waste of time and I hated it. And it wasn't until now, um, we did adjust our price, but not to where I thought it should be. And now we are where we should be. And it gives us a better opportunity for wholesale. Uh, it gives us a, like a more like economically viable wholesale business for when we really want to go after that. So yeah, and now we're planning for that for like 2024 and 2025 is when we're going to go really hard after that. But oh, nice. it's really hard to, to, I would advise somebody to like, pick a lane. And I strongly advise you to pick the e-commerce lane, (laughs) the online lane and go hard there before like opening up other channels. Um, even marketplaces, every people ask me, when are you guys going to get on Amazon? We have got a pretty strategic plan for Amazon and based on the type of customer Amazon is and you know, the type of shopper that they attract and the type of platform it is. And like, we know there's some things that we want to fix and do um, before we get on that platform. So you've got to be very strategic. Whereas I feel like when I was just early on starting out my business, I was like everybody to everything, everywhere, you know, get everywhere, just sell, sell, sell. And yeah. I don't, I'm different now. Um, so I, I, now I'm looking back, thinking back to I don't even know what our, we were originally talking about. I went on a tangent. <laughs> no, that's no, this is perfect. The way the entrepreneur, you know, like our mind just, oh, I have an idea. Start talking about this. Go this way. Totally. But I definitely 
even going back to your point about making it sound easy, God, it is not easy. <laughs> it is not easy. I never, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, you know, you miss, I remember we got an opportunity to be in like, um, a, a box. And I remember a big, one of the top influencers in Canada, Jillian Harris, your American, um, some Americans might know her too, but she's one of the like top influencers in Canada in terms of like buying power, you know, like from a brand seeing it, like when people see her, they buy, um, using yeah. products like white and, um, in order to like, it was such a last minute request and we had to overnight FedEx it. And this is when I had the label business. We had to ship it. I, I ended up missing my oldest daughter's like recite, uh, dance recital. And she was like three at the time. And I think back of like how many birthday parties I just had to send my family to, like, I didn't go because I had to stay back and work. Um, yeah. sacrifice, like even holidays. I remember we were one Thanksgiving, we were supposed to host Thanksgiving here. And I was just like, we were in the middle of the Nick's birds papaya collaboration. I'm like, I've got to get this stuff done. Like I, I can't host. And we had all this food and I just like sent it to my in-laws and with my family and they went and they did it. Like, I just couldn't do it. I'm like, I can't get my house together. I can't. So to say it's easy is like, <laughs> so wrong. Uh, I don't make it sound, I'm not making it sound easy. There are so many sacrifices, but I feel like over the years, it's just become like what it is. I I have less guilt (laughs) about it because it's just like, it's my life now. Like I used to be like, Oh, I have to say no to another party, another friend event. I missed a friend's birthday last night. Like, you know, you sacrifice a lot of your time because like, Mm -hmm. This is, you know, people ask me all the time, are you going to have another baby? I have, this is my third child right here. <laughs> this business, these are my babies, three and four. <laughs> I've got a lot of them. So it's like, there's a lot of advice that maybe it's not coming out, coming across uh, very well, but it's not easy. It's hard. The hardest thing anybody will ever do, but you can do it. I agree. Yeah. Totally. I get the question all the time, like knowing what you know now, you know, would you like pursue this? And uh, I'm like, well, I did. I like, I left a business knowing I was going to start a new one, another one. Um, and so, yeah, I would. Do I think I knew what this would be like at all? No, no. And I would advise anybody start a business before you have kids <laughs> before all of your do you time. ever feel do you ever look back and you're just like because I do this all the time and it, I try not to be hard on myself but I'm literally like I wasted so much god I could have like started 300 businesses written 5 million books like I could have been a YouTube star <laughs> But instead, what the fuck did I do with my time when I was in my 20s? I have no idea. Wasted time doing who knows. I actually, my job was traveling the world. So I will give myself credit that I did get to go to like a bazillion countries. And that was absolutely the greatest job of my whole life. But like literally before you, when you don't have kids, you have so much time. Even if you think you are so busy. Trust me, try having a child where it just sucks up all your time. You don't sleep. And then... Once you do sleep, then you have to shuffle them around everywhere and 
the schools are closed every other day for holidays. Yeah. Like, how many fucking holidays are there? I don't know. Like, <laughs> we just had Christmas break. My kids are on PA day today. Yes, my kids' school was closed on my. Well, it was Martin Luther King Day, so you know, yeah. definitely, definitely a good day to be closed. But then it was also closed. It's closed next Friday, and I'm like, shoot, I have like five podcast recordings. Like, okay, well. Yeah, it's it's hard. But um, I started my first business when my son was six months old. And, um, you know, like, I feel like moms are superheroes. I will always say that moms can like do moms can like save the world. I don't know. But yes, I think if you can start a business before kids, it's definitely the way to go. So I remember like. We launched my baby Sloan, my youngest, she was three weeks old. And I just remember those days of like, I would be up. So I remember the developer I was working with, he was in India. And so like putting the final touches on the website and everything, I would be up through the night and I'm like, have the baby with me. I'm nursing her. I'm on like, I'm on the computer. It was like 3.30 in the morning. And then I would get up because I had the other one, my oldest, she was going to preschool and, you know, I'd get up and get her ready and we'd do it all over. And I even look back to like, how did I even do this? But there was this adrenaline, like this new Mm -hmm. mom adrenaline, new business adrenaline. I, you know, I go, I still go through seasons of that, honestly, like in um, this past summer when we were, we transitioned from like, you know, shipping from our house to we went into a warehouse and there were a lot of um obstacles that presented with that switch and we made that transition as we were going into our busiest season so it didn't allow for any it didn't allow for very much um get up to speed you know work out the kinks we were kind of working out the kinks as we were fulfilling orders this year. So it was very, very, uh, very stressful, but, um, yeah, there's just, there's always something, you know, there there's, but there's a momentum that you'll get. I was probably sleeping five or, you know, four or five hours a night all summer, all summer long. And it never phased me. And I was getting up going with the kids, right. And doing all that stuff. And then now I'm in a season where Things are slower. It's more strategy. And my body is telling me like, you need to rest. You need to sleep. I told, told was telling mm-hmm. my husband the other day, I'm like, I don't think I've ever slept so much coming mm-hmm. off of like December and January. I'm sleeping yeah. like eight or nine hours, one night, 10 hours. Like, wow, who is this person? But I think you get into these like modes and your adrenaline kicks in when it needs to as a mom as an entrepreneur and you just do it and then mm-hmm. you'll rest when you can because I know this is going to be short-lived so <laughs> I'm taking it all in but it's it is you're right like we're superhuman we really are <laughs> I agree <laughs> okay to wrap things up this was so amazing um I loved just hearing more of your story and um, just some of the like fun things that you shared. It was really very interesting. Um, if you can, I feel like you already gave so many tips, but I want to, I, I love, I want to start ending episodes with like, if you could give someone one piece of advice. So I want to do that. This You'll be the first person that I do this with, I think. Um, 
if you could just give one piece. So before, and also at the end, tell everyone how they can find you, follow you, buy your products. But yeah, if you could just give people one piece of advice as being a female entrepreneur, like it could be anything, what would it be? Putting you on the spot. So I think, yeah, I've given a few things of lessons. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that I, my daughter, she's recently been obsessed. She's seven, recently been obsessed with starting. She starts a new business every week. Oh my God. And one of the things that I told her, I've been telling her is you come a, bef- before you go and execute on your amazing idea, whatever that is, or whatever you want to, you know, do. You need to talk to the person who you think is going to be a customer and you need to understand like there's so much you can do by talking to people and talking to your ideal customer, figuring that out and knowing them so intimately and deeply. Um, I wish I would have done that. We're doing that work really doing that work like a lot right now, but those are understanding the problem you want to solve for people and becoming like obsessed with your ideal customer and Mm -hmm. what are the pain points that she is experiencing in her life and how are you going to make it better before you start making any product or doing anything. I come from a place of like creating products that solve problems so like, that's the advice for somebody that wants to do that. There's other people that are just like super creative and like, just have random ideas that maybe that that product doesn't exist. But for somebody who wants to like solve a problem, I think you, if you have an idea, I would talk to as many people as possible to understand, um, the viability of it and like how the pain points that they're currently experiencing, how you're going to come in and solve the problem, like just it's all about the customer and understanding ideal customer and getting as much information because so many people skip that step because it's not fun. It's not glamorous, but like don't start a business saying like you have business idea and then like go on, on Photoshop or Canva and start designing the logo. Like it is, (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) Go and like do this work because it's the work that I find every business owner at one point you get stuck there, you know, it cut like your messaging. You don't know what to say. Well, you don't know what to say because you don't know what they're, they need. You don't know what their pain points. You don't know, you know, what got them to looking for this type of product. Like you don't know what they're currently using that, why they need what you have, you know, cause you didn't intimately get to know your ideal customer. So sorry, that was a very long winded answer, but, and to wrap it up, it would just be about, you know, understanding the problem you want to solve and talking to that ideal customer who you're going to solve the problem for and knowing them very intimately. And I think it'll set any entrepreneur up for serious success. I love that. I That's like the perfect answer because that's, I would say, and I'm laughing too, because, um, you know, I'm writing a book called Customer Obsession and like what you just said is my chapter four or chapter three. And it's basically no... I think it's called Know Your Effing Customers. And like exactly what you just said is what that entire chapter is. And I 100% agree with you. That is the one thing that most people completely gloss over. And then they've had their business for a year and they're like, I'm not getting any sales. What am I doing? I, I need to be on Instagram more. And I'm like, no, what you need to do is 
talk to people who would buy your product, figure out why they would buy from you and not Amazon, not your competitors, really understand the messaging part and then go back and implement. It's not your Instagram strategy. It's that you don't know who you're talking to. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah like I never did that before. <laughs> so um, common common thing that most people just don't do. So, you know, and it's like I think people just don't know like or they're like, oh, well, I like my product and I'm my ideal customer or like, you know, all my friends like it, you know, so I'm not even yeah. my ideal customer. So like I am, but I'm like, I'm be I'm past her. Like who we're really talking to is like probably me a couple years ago, but like, you know, just as an example, um, part of for a little while our messaging was about like eco-friendly and saving the planet and recycling and doing all this like like I think we're our ideal customer is mindful of recycling but they're not going to lose sleep because they missed recycling day or somebody put the wrong thing and you know whereas like myself I, at my birthday parties, like my kids never drink out of plastic water bottles. I will go and take the plastic water bottles out of the garbage that people put in and I'll make sure it goes in the recycle. Like that's me, but I'm next level. My customer is not next level, you know? And so when we were talking all about recycling and the planet and pollution and global, like it didn't resonate with my customer, even though we have a, you know, metals, easiestly recyclable materials and high demand, you know, but that wasn't, wasn't resonating. Um, so I, to, even to your point of like, it's something you need to do early on, but then it's something you need to revisit all the time too, is that your customer can change, you know? So it's, amazing, the, it's the, like non-glamorous part of business and marketing, right? But that's the stuff that moves the needle. And I love that you said like, oh, like someone ha and I'm laughing because I know the designers will come at me for this. <laughs> but you're like, I have a business idea. I'm just going to go to Canva and start doing my logo. And I'm always like, I mean, number one, I'm glad that people DIY logos because I think they are, in my opinion, again, designers don't come at me. I think they're like the most overrated parts of your business. I think once you're established and you have a great logo, awesome. But like, no one cares about logos. Again, you might not agree with me because I think your logo is awesome, but that's not the part that's your logo is not what's going to get someone to whip out their credit card and buy from you. Solving the pain points, speaking to their soul about your product and why they need it. That's going to get them to buy. No one gives yeah. a shit about your logo. So no, you're right. I think that, you know, that stuff is the stuff that <laughs> it just adds like credibility to your business, right? It's like yeah. these these tabs, they're you have to have them, but mm -hmm. they're not. Um, it's not as serious as you make it seem in your head, right? Like, oh, my logo has to be perfect. And mm -hmm. I'm honestly, I think any like brand owner, when you're going, that's like going through that phase, you get pretty obsessed with it and wanting it to be perfect. Um, mm -hmm. When, uh, like. It, you're right. It, 10 months down the road, it doesn't matter. Like that part doesn't matter. You know, when it becomes a brand, is it the consistency? You know, they, they're seeing the same thing. It's the, it's the consistency of everything of your messaging. And then the logo just is there, you know, 
it's just showing up. So it's, there's just so much more to, um, you know, and even just to that point about designing colors and logos until you know who you're talking to, how do you know what's going to resonate with them? Color logo wise, you know what I mean? So it just even goes back to that. Um, there's just so much just groundwork that you should do before you start. And I would advise that. And I think it would also help people, um, to just not like waste a lot of money. You know, I just wasted, I spent so much money early on doing things like just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what worked. And that's part of the journey too. But yeah, start with your, start with like the problem you you think you're going to solve or, you know, what, what are you going to do for people and like talk to people who you think would be your ideal customer and like get to know them very deeply in their pain points. And it's important. I love it. That's amazing advice. Perfect. Okay. Where can people find you? Where can they find your product? All that good yeah, stuff. You can find us anywhere um, at the good kind and kind is with two eyes. Um, and I wish I had a better story as to why people ask me all the time, like, why is it kind with two eyes? To be very honest with you, when I, I wanted the good kind, cause it was something that resonated with my family. And we, we say that I'll like be the good kind of sister, you know, whatever, like we say that to the kids, but kind in the way it's normally spelled with one eye was not available. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No good story with that one. I've actually always wondered why it was two eyes. I just never asked you. (laughs) I know. People ask all the time, like expecting like a good story. And I'm just like, I really wish, I think I probably should just You need to make up a like really, like absurd story. Something that sounds like really cool. And yeah, I, to be honest, I'm like, I kind of like the way it looks because you got like the two O's and good and two I's. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. Wait, yeah. did you say, did you let people know where they can find you? I don't remember. Yeah, so thegoodkind.com okay. or on social media, Instagram, sometimes Pinterest, rarely TikTok one day. <laughs> okay. All the things. All the things, yeah. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Courtney. So awesome to just chat with you and catch up, but also just hear your story. I loved learning a little bit more about you. Um But yeah, but thank you so much for being on. Loved it. Having me. Yay. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you love this episode, please go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcast and then take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me in it at Carrie A. Fitzgerald. My name is in the show notes. Thank you so much. And I'll see you guys next week.